electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hello, everybody. On this episode, you'll hear from Chamath Palihapitiya. He's the founder and CEO of Social Capital, a venture capital firm whose mission is to advance humanity by solving the world's hardest problems. Palihapitiya has made a name for himself as an innovative investor, a creative capitalist, and an outspoken advocate of what are known as SPACs. He joined us at CNBC's Delivering Alpha conference on September 29th, 2021, where he spoke to my colleague, Scott Wapner. Here's their conversation. I think the prevailing thought from institutional investors today is one of caution, that the markets are going to be tough to get returns in the months ahead. Do you share that view or do you have a different view? Um, I think there's going to be a lot of volatility. Um, The question is, where is it going to come from? You know, I think the place you have to look to start is in China. Um, I think that a lot of investors, institutional investors, have a business model that um, really needs China to be an investable place, right? Hundreds of billions of dollars of foreign capital, you can charge fees, you can generate profits. But I think what you see is that that game is over. And so we're seeing the beginnings of the vertical integration of China, China Inc., right? One country, one economy, one, one CEO, Xi Jinping. And that has huge ramifications to national security. It has huge ramifications to supply chains, to inflation. And I think as people really come to terms with this and come to grips with that, there's going to be a lot of opportunities to make money. Are you suggesting, though, that that right now China is uninvestable for U.S. investors? You know, I have always said that I can only invest in a place if I really understand um, how the money goes in, the rule of law, and then most importantly, how the money can come out. And what I've seen over the last six months has really shaken my confidence in my ability to predict what happens next. And so from my perspective, it's a place that I right now will read about and not invest in. You expect more volatility, though, in the U.S. markets? Enormous, yeah. Um, Look, we, I think, shook off inflation. There was like a little bit of a head fake leading into May. Um, If you looked at sort of where 10-year break-evens were, there was like a a little sprinkling. And, uh, and then, by and large, it went away, and we thought, okay, well, the market's going to be okay, and, you know, the economy will be tempered because of the Delta variant. Um, but now, what we see, again, if you fold China back into the equation, if you fold this, you know, supply chain issues that we have, the regionalization we need to create over the next few years, prices are going up. So, I want to talk about one area of the market that is really your specialty, and one that has clearly re-rated. And that is the SPAC market. CNBC's post-SPAC index is down 32% this year. Two-thirds of SPACs that went public this year are trading below their offer price. Was it all a bubble? Um, No, but I do think that in the beginning of every market, you have a few people that pioneer something, and then you have a lot of fast followers. And I think it's always important to take a step back when you have all that fast following to sort it out. And I think we're in the midst of sorting that out and separating the wheat from the chaff. Who are the quality sponsors? Who underwrites good deals? And most importantly, and I've said this to you before, who has skin in the game? 
And when you look at that, and if you take your index and separate it by the people that actually invest their own money, I suspect there's a tale of two stories there. You, you've said that SPACs need to be better regulated or scrutinized. Against what? Well, my perspective is that right now the incentives aren't aligned to create great outcomes from the beginning of a SPAC to the end of a SPAC. And the most important thing we need to do is to force the people that are the sponsors to have much more capital at risk. So, for example, I think Gary Genzer would be well off by saying for every dollar of SPAC money you, have, you want to raise, five or ten cents needs to be your own. And so if I want to raise a billion dollars SPAC, I have to come up with a hundred million dollars. I suspect, Scott, I may or may not come up with a good deal, but I'll take that really seriously and pay attention. And that has a bunch of very positive knock-on effects. You draw criticism yourself for you know, your activities or the way you market some of your SPACs. I mean, if you look at the returns, most of your, I think, six to date, is that correct, six SPACs? Um, well, we have six on the technology side, four on the biotechnology side, and four closed deals. Okay, so you're, you're prolific, obviously, in the space. Most are up significantly since the market debut, but down sharply from the highs. SoFi's down 40%, Virgin Galactic's down from 63 to 23. You no longer have a position there. Clover's down from 29 to less than eight. I want to read you something that Fortune Magazine said about you back in April. Quote, Justice Chamath Palihapitiya was the face of the SPAC frenzy that gripped financial markets at the start of the year. He is today the face of the bust. What do you make of that? Is that fair? Can I just clear up some facts? Um, I still own a lot of Virgin Galactic. Um, I didn't step out to try to clear this up, but in a moment, um, I generated some liquidity to manage my risk and then to be able to make a big investment in climate change. It was misreported. People don't bother to actually read these security filings and and, you know, you could claim that I should have been in Twitter telling all the people what happened. I chose not to, to just stay quiet and keep my head down. That's piece number one. Um, piece number two is, yeah, I'm going to get a lot of credit when things go up, and then I'm going to get a lot of the blame when things go down. I think we all have to take a step back and say, we are one year in to a pretty meaningful revolution in the capital markets that will take years to play out. And so I would love for those same people to rewrite that article in three years and five years and see what it says, because that's how I try to underwrite these businesses. You're also very public, though, in the way you promote the deals. So as you said, you're kind of the quarterback. Quarterback gets all the credit with a win. And a lot and of the blame. A lot of the, a lot of the blame in the losses. Do you understand why you get that criticism? It's part of being in the seat, and I'm willing to accept it. I think that I'm also willing to make sure that I think about what rules need to change so that the game becomes even more fair for folks. I've tried to do that. I was pretty public in May in my op-ed. It was really great to see that the SEC, the, um, the committee that thinks about this stuff, embraced a lot of those ideas just a few weeks ago. Um, so yeah, I'm happy to be uh, a vibrant part of this ecosystem. I get that you, know, you take shots. It's part of being a big boy. Um, but I also want to just tell people to take your time, do your own work, and we need years for this stuff to really play out. Do you regret any of the deals that you did? No. Really proud of all four of them. I think these are really great businesses. I'll give you an example, okay? Um, when you look inside the Medicare ecosystem, and I've told you this before, Scott, you're lucky because you're a white man. White men in the healthcare system are at the top of the pecking order. But you go all the way down, you know who's there? Minorities, black, brown people, okay? People who have been basically put aside by Medicare. 
we did a business, Clover, which, by the way, had an incredible quarter, crushed their numbers. And when you look at the number of colored minority people that they help, it's disproportionately better than the averages for anybody else. You had CMS, who governs Clover, last week doubled the footprint of the number of places where they can operate, while at the same time sanctioning United Healthcare and a bunch of their competitors for Medicare fraud. So am I proud of these companies? Yeah, I think they're doing great well, things in the world. Why has the stock then been destroyed? I helped build a company called Facebook. The company went public at 20 bucks. Lots of chatter, the stock went down to $11, and people said, this company is nothing. Seven years later, over the fullness of time, it's a trillion dollar business. And we can you know, talk about everything, but again, it takes time. I would just encourage people to be patient, do your own work, and not overreact. Were you as transparent as you should have been with the Clover deal? And I that really so. gets to the accusation that Hindenburg Research made against you. They said you misled investors about regulatory think, issues the company was facing. I think I was completely straightforward and honest, and I think they, um, frankly, have a lot to answer for. Here's the thing about short selling. I find it curious that we don't look at that more. Because in that specific example, you cherry pick an issue that was disclosed and talked about. Um, it was in the Clover's response even that we had umpteen lawyers look at an inquiry letter from the DOJ and decided on its uh, lack of materiality. I'm not sure that any outside party was in a position to do the work that all these multiple law firms did, number one. But the number two, there's no fraud there. And what it was all about, and what a lot of short selling is about, is about creating sentiment shift and volatility and profiting from that. And I would love for folks to figure out whether that should be allowed or not. So do I believe in what they wrote? No. Do I think what they do should be allowed? Yeah. But am I a fan of it? No. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. You recently got a letter from Senator Elizabeth Warren, you and a number of other people yeah. who are big in the SPAC industry, questioning whether you're taking advantage of regulatory loopholes and taking advantage of smaller investors as a result. What's your response to the letter? Have you spoken to the senator? How will you respond to her? Assuming you uh, I, haven't, I haven't spoken to her. Um, I was happy to receive the letter. Um, we're going to work on a response and give it back to her. You know, our part of this is not that exciting because if you actually read the letter, there is a bunch of examples that literally pointed to everybody else. And so I think I was sort of tossed in there for a little sizzle. But res despite that, we are going to respond and um, we think what so she's so trying to do you're is you're the bacon of the business. I'm more, in that example, I'm more of the raisin and rice pudding. Um, but yes, I was included and will respond in due course. And, uh, you know, again, she talks about skin in the game as well a lot. 
And so I think, you know, again, she's hopefully another one that believes in, in what I'm advocating for, which is to force SPAC sponsors to put up a lot more of their own money. But I mean, you make the case really that, that SPACs are um, a faster, a more democratizing way of, of taking companies public, right? Yeah. And there are those who certainly take issue with that too. They look at maybe the performance and say, okay, the sponsor is the one who makes all the money. The investors, the ones you're, you're trying to democratize the most, are the ones who assume the most risk. What's the question, Scott? You, do you disagree with that characterization? Um, look, at the end of the day... And the big selling point of SPACs is not what it's all meant up to be in the first place. Here's the great thing about SPACs. You have an opportunity to have months to get behind people who you think may find a good deal, and then you typically have months to completely underwrite the business, see how the entire rest of the market reacts to the business, and stay in or get all of your money back. That to me seems like an incredibly investor-friendly thing to do. I can't do that in an IPO. I can't do that if I buy some bonds, but I can do that in a SPAC. So net-net, I think it's a useful and important part of the capital markets. People just need to take their time, do their own work. I go back to the same things. And make sure you look at the incentives of the folks that you want to get behind and ask yourself how much of their own money is on the line. I think if you do those things, it will clarify a lot of what's happening in the SPAC market. What about lockups? Are you in favor of those or not? Because the conversation I had earlier today with Brad Gerstner made the point that, as you say, skin in the game is important, but also staying power making you stay? I think lockups are artificial. Um, I've been on all sides of this. I've been a CEO subject to a lockup. I've been an investor subject to a lockup. And I've been an employee of a company that went public subject to a lockup. The one thing that I always found odd with lockups is that they always hurt the people that spent the most time. And they all benefited the people that had nothing to do with the business. Some random hedge fund shows up at the 11th hour gets an allocation in a book, and completely can trade in and out of this thing. So to me, it has a negative connotation because of how historically it's been practiced by Wall Street. If it were fixed in a way that was more democratic to everybody, I'd be supportive of it. In the meantime, the way that the rules are right now, folks that come in literally yesterday have no restrictions, and folks like me who are involved for years have enormous restrictions, it should probably be the opposite. That would be the best way to fix lockups in the meantime, Go back to skin in the game. You are called, as we say today, a number of things. We called you the alpha maverick. Do you like having a, a, a polarizing persona about you? I'm trying, to, in part of what I wanted to, to do in this conversation, was get people to understand who you are as an investor. I really appreciate this question uh, because I get this a lot, and I think there's a lot of misunderstandings. Um, I am an engineer who's built products, who has always tried to solve problems that I think exist. And I use tools around me to do it. Right now, of all the money that I have, about 40%, I would say, is in climate change. I've mentally allocated about 40% to life sciences. And then I spend the rest of the 20% experimenting. Deep tech, crypto, AI, a bunch of stuff. That's who I am. And I like to think about solutions first, the things that I care about, how will I be thought of over long periods of time. The problem when you do all of that stuff is sometimes you go to areas 
that are unpopular and that can push against how the establishment has, is used to how things working. And so you take a lot of shots. This is what you said before at the beginning, which I agree with. It's not the first time I've taken shots. When we were at Facebook, I took shots. You know, when we started social capital and we started doing all this longitudinal investing in healthcare, we took shots. And all along the way, I go back to the one thing, which is what can I control, which is a process and my own emotional reaction to the outcome. And that's what I try to do. Um, but what I want to be known for will be judged in 30 or 40 years. I mean, there are some people who say you're part of the establishment that you decry, that you need the establishment to do what you do, yet you're highly critical of it. I think it's really important to give a trail of breadcrumbs because I think there are a lot of people sitting inside firms that want to do the right thing. And I think sometimes short-term incentives, market volatility can really get in the way. And so if on the edges, I can make it slightly easier for people to get enthusiastic about the things that I care about, because the things that I care about are things that should be fixed in the world, I'm happy to do that. And so whether I'm part of the establishment or not, at some level, I do think that that's true. The thing that I've always tried to do is answer the question like, again, will I be proud of how I've spent my time? And can I look at these businesses and say it's doing the right things? And this is where I think to a one, I feel really great about that track record. Um, and by the way, this is just the beginning because over the next few months and years, you'll hear the stuff that I've been doing at climate change. Today, I announced something that myself and Mark Benioff and Toby Lutke of Shopify did. These are the things that somebody needs to be working on because nobody is. You know, this year we've burned more land because of wildfires in the entire state of New Jersey. You're, you're talking about an investment that you announced yeah, today. Yeah, $36 million in a, in a dollar deal. Drone Seed? Drone Seed. It's FAA licensed. These are drones that help massively replant areas that have been devastated by forest fires. And it does two things. It does it safely. It does it typically years ahead of where humans can get in. And then on the back end of it, it generates all these carbon credits that you can use to offset other people's pollution. So those are the things that over time, I hope to tell you more and more about. I'm trying to do a lot of things in life sciences. You know, I just give you a simple example that I, that I think everybody listening should know. There are 32,000 diseases that individuals get because of one single mutation in your gene. And we have the ability to go and fix it. And so I've allocated my time and attention to do those things. Sickle cell anemia, Alzheimer's, dementia, you know, these are things that everybody, it impacts all of us. So I think over time, hopefully people look at me and say, he's a guy that puts his money where his mouth is and tries to do some useful stuff. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Let's talk about some other areas you're putting your money in. Crypto. 
Are you as bullish today as you have been, given some of the recent developments, whether it's China's crackdown, Gary Gensler has made some comments about the business being rife with fraud and abuse. Ray Dalio said at a conference a few weeks ago that if it's successful, they, as in the regulators, will kill it. What do you think? I think it's very hard to kill. Um, so technically, it's very difficult, just the way that it's architected. It is the most profound iteration of the Internet that we've seen. So if you think of the first version of the Internet, it was dominated by Google organizing everything that existed. And these last 15 years is dominated by Facebook putting a social layer on top of the Internet. The problem is those are two companies. And version three, where we are today, you know, led by things like DeFi and led by all this crypto stuff, is rebuilding all of that stuff without an obvious leader. It's completely headless. It's entirely peer-to-peer. -peer. Um, and I think that that's both scary and exhilarating. So I don't know where it goes. I've been spending a lot of time learning about it in the last 18 months particularly. Um, so I'm a huge intellectual bull. I haven't put a lot of money outside of Bitcoin, obviously, in it. A few, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, like small capital right now. It could get very big. Um, but irrespective of what I do, what I will say is we all need to pay attention to it because I think the implications are enormous. But what do you think about what China has done and the negative uh, perception of that move? Obviously, such a sizable market is deemed to, an overwhelming negative. You have to go back to what China's plan is. China, again, is getting vertically integrated. China Inc., one company, one CEO, and all the resources of that country roll up to it. So it's not as if they're getting rid of cryptocurrency. They're basically forcing the entire Chinese economy to pivot to their digital currency. But imagine the power that that gives a federal authority. So if you're a Chinese citizen and you are all of a sudden on the wrong side of a governor or of Xi Jinping himself, your entire wealth can be erased by just one little line item now because all of it sits in one digital currency that's in control of a government. So I think that it's a logical step in what has been a very well thought out plan by China. I think it reinforces why decentralization is a really important principle in democratic countries, it just increases the stakes for people like Gary Gensler to have to figure it out. He's got a very tough job here because it's a hyper complicated problem. I mean, at one point, I think you said you, you thought Bitcoin was going to go to 200,000. Maybe you said even higher than that. Do you still think that or have you tempered your own expectations as a result of where the landscape currently sits? It's very hard for me sitting here to give you a price prediction. Um, but I can pretty confidently say that Bitcoin, I think, has effectively replaced gold and it will continue to do so. And so that market cap is just going to grow. And then for the first time, I think we're seeing the initial versions of the solution that we thought Bitcoin was supposed to be. Smart contracts and, you know, better savings accounts, better insurance, better credit scoring. And that's happening through this DeFi stuff that's being built on Ethereum and Solana. These are the terms that you know, people are... I read recently where you said you're building a, quote, sizable portfolio of NFTs. I mean, talk about bubbles. I mean, the air sort of came out of SPACs. It came out of NFTs. And what are you... You're, you have an interesting... I'm not ready to comment on my crypto holdings outside of Bitcoin. 
Well, you, but you said you were building, I mean, I read this. You said you were building Other a sizable portfolio. Other than that quote, portfolio. I am not ready Digital to Digital art and all that. I'm I mean, not ready to come. But, but you think, are, are you looking at more what I would call alternative assets as places to best deliver alpha Look, let today? Me, okay, I'll, so I'll, this, I'll ask it that way. That's a fabulous question. Um, I'm very concerned about medium-term inflation. And so in an inflationary environment, in my very simplistic view of the world, I want to own three things. Hypergrowth, because hypergrowth can always outrun inflation. Think of that as like companies that are growing 50 plus percent a year. It's incredible growth, right? Then I want to own cash generative assets. Think of that as like, you know, a great example is like a mining stock. I know that sounds crazy, but it's pretty incredible. And then I want to own non-correlated assets. Bitcoin, Solana, DSO, a lot of the DeFi protocols, because it's a great counterintuitive hedge against all of this stuff. Now, most of the dollars are here, small amount of the dollars are here, but that's how I see the world, because I do worry that we've pumped an enormous amount of money in the ecosystem, and it has to show itself. And uh, when we start to balkanize these supply chains and regionalize because of China, Prices are going to go up. And how much are stocks going to go down? I mean, it sounds like you're, you're worried about the stock market for all the reasons that you said. I don't think the setup for me um, is all that bad because I tend to prefer hyper growth. Again, because I think hyper growth is the only kind of stock. Like what's that, an example of that? Is there, is there a well, name I mean, you look specifically? At, you know, if, you, if you look at the ones that we, we own, um, you know, um, I think if you look at the projections of SoFi, you look at the projections of Open Door, um, you look at the projections of Clover, how they performed even in the last quarter. Um, we own businesses that we think can grow a lot. But outside of that, I really like offline businesses that are highly cash flow generative right now because I think it'll be a very protective asset. Broadly speaking in the market, I'm a little skittish, yeah. Well, because even the companies that you mentioned, and let's just say any other what is deemed to be a quote-unquote hyper-growth company, the issue is that their multiples get re-rated. Completely. Um, because interest rates are going to go up. Completely. So how can you have it both ways, right? If you're so worried about inflation, how is it not going to have a negative impact on the very kinds of stocks that you like? Yeah, and you're bringing up a very good point. I'm not claiming that I know what the short-term impact to valuation will be. All I'm saying is, you know, it's not as if disinflation or hyperinflation are permanent entities. These are, and it's in, it's in, it's, these are transient properties of a functioning economy. My point is, when we are back to normal, if we go through an inflationary period, again, you'll want the thing that was growing a lot, not the thing that was growing a little bit. And you'll want the thing that was generating a ton of cash because in a, you know, a rising rate environment, that has very positive attributes that work in your favor. And then you reallocate and you rebalance. Um, the good news is for me, these assets are also things that you know, I've, I'm lucky to be an investor in where I can kind of calmly stay there. You know? um, and on this other side, as you said, you'll, you'll see some stuff from me soon, hopefully, and I, and I, and I look forward to coming and telling you about them. Um, but these are like real things. Let's go through a few quick things before we, we wrap. Sure. Um, California, uh, what are you doing? Are you leaving California now that Newsom has won his recall? 
No. Election? No. Um, look, Western countries have been my salvation. I mean, Canada gave me refugee status. America gave me a visa. You know, I've, I'm a citizen here. I pay all my taxes here. Uh, I've made my career here. I love America. It is. And by the way, you know, yesterday I was in D.C., as I told you, right, meeting with some folks. And I walked through the Capitol building and I thought to myself, this is the most incredible country in the world. Um, and then I was also like, you know, how could people do this on January 6th? But anyways, uh, this is the most incredible country in the world. And California, I'm a little biased, is the best state in America. I love the weather. I love the people. So I'm going to stay. You love the taxes. I don't care about what I pay in taxes. I care that things get better. Whether I pay 40% or 60%, I really don't care. But right now, since we've had an... The, the weird thing about California is we have an entirely Democratic senator, uh, House, Senate, mayors. And in that specific window of time, California has become unlivable. And that's scary to me because I hope that... I would have thought that it would have been the opposite because these folks are supposed to agree on everything. There's nothing that these folks can't pass up and down the ticket. So it's just a good way for me to tell folks to the extent that they're listening, like, please do something. You know, you guys should be able to get in a room and get aligned. But homelessness is out of control. Crime is out of control. Great entrepreneurs are leaving. It doesn't need to be that way. Tesla comes to mind when you talk about great entrepreneurs. Tesla left, Oracle left. Are you as bullish today on Tesla as you, as you have been? I am, but my thesis has changed slightly. How so? You know, last time you and I spoke about Tesla, what I said is I think it's, it's a, a distributed energy company. I would slightly refine that by saying I actually completely underestimated how big EVs will be. And when you see it now, the market has flipped. I mean, when Ford... Ford, General Motors. General Motors. I mean, it is incredible. So I actually think now that Tesla will be very busy just being a best-in-class EV car company. So, you know, there's a segue to telling you, and I'll foreshadow something, which is that there is a huge opportunity to build a distributed energy utility. You know, I've mentioned this to you before, but I think there's going to be a cataclysm in the energy markets. I think the utilities are under duress. Um, they're in a very, very difficult spot. And the laws don't understand what will happen when individuals like you and I can generate our own power. And so, you know, again, closing the circle on Virgin, you know, when I sold a couple hundred million dollars, um, it was in large part to fund this thing, which is quickly becoming over the next few years, in my opinion, will be the largest distributed energy utility in America. So I'm very proud of the work that I'm doing over here. And hopefully, you know, I'll pick up a little bit of slack that Tesla is not going to be able to, uh, you know, operationalize as they build an incredible EV business. And so both things I think will happen. I think it'll manifest in a different company. You still have a sizable stock position in Tesla? No. You sold it? Yeah. When? Uh, Over the last few years, we've sort of, you know, not last few years, like really in the last year or so, particularly, you know, the prices allowed me to, again... Surprised to hear you say that after what you just said about the company. Well, I, I don't have an infinite pool of capital. You know, I'm myself. I don't raise funds. I can't go to other people. Um, and so when I have these ideas, the money has to come from someplace. The only other solution would be to, for me to get totally levered up. And I'm just not comfortable with that risk. And so, you know, I'm a meager guy with meager means. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, so I got to rub these two pennies together and make it go as long as possible.
That was Chamath Palihapitiya, founder and CEO of Social Capital. He joined us at CNBC's Delivering Alpha event on September 29th, 2021. The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. Don't forget to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit CNBCevents.com to learn more about upcoming events and how you can join us. We'd love to have you there. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.